welcome to the Mortal Art Podcast. I'm your host, Eldin. This is episode 8. Sex, Drugs and Rock. Before I begin, there's a Patreon link for the podcast if you want to support me. For the price of a cup of coffee per month, or a donut if you feel like it, you can help this podcast. You can cancel it whenever you want, whether the money doesn't suit your needs, or if there's an issue with your finances. No strings attached. You can find all the details on Patreon. If you haven't, make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast so you will never miss an episode. I appreciate it. You can reach me at the immortalartpodcast.gmail.com. All the links are included in the episode's description. If you like the podcast, rate it on your favorite podcast app or leave it a like on YouTube. Thank you. In this episode, I will explore the world of Paleolithic art. It took me a while to research this episode. Also, I'm working on other projects, a documentary film and a novel, plus my daily job, so it takes some time to do this. This is my hobby. I don't generate any money from it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. If this podcast generates money in the future, then I will have more time to dedicate myself to it. Let's dive into drugs, sex, and rock. If you listened to the previous episode, you will know that the oldest art is 73,000 years old. It was found in South Africa, a small piece of carving, no bigger than a few centimeters. The next art piece we found is 45,000 years old, leaving a gap of 28,000 years. Did our ancestors stop producing art? It's hard to know. The beginnings of art should be studied at the beginning, but it is something that we cannot have. I often think about these people. We know a lot of stuff about them. We can deduce and speculate based on archaeological evidence how they behaved, what they ate, even how they look, where they went. But few things we will never know. Why did they left Africa? How their languages sounded, their life stories, their dreams, fears, what they joked about, and so on. What we will never know is their names. As I discussed in previous episodes, long ago, all humans lived in nomadic tribes of Africa. We loved to move around, and we loved to socialize with each other. We told stories to each other. Our desire for social interaction is a fundamental human experience. Social media is a modern expression of this need for connection. In ancient times, hundreds of thousands of years ago, humans craved and thrived on social engagement. The archaeological evidence suggests that our ancestors gathered around fire pits and caves, seeking safety from predators and the chance to have a dialogue, to talk, to share stories. Their conversations were definitely different from that of today. They likely centered on survival challenges. For example, the African heat, lions that roam the savanna, or the best way to find drinkable water. I imagine anecdotes told around fire, like an uncle's misadventure with a cheetah, or a mother's search for berries, only to find sleeping lions in the shade of a tree. 
stories made us. 75,000 years ago, we left Africa. We moved north and ended up in the area known as a Fertile Crescent, where Europe, Asia and Africa converge. There, to this day, the temperatures are still around 40 degrees Celsius during the day. Our ancestors continued their journey north in the search of more hospitable conditions. If you observe the DNA path of our ancestors, they decided to go north, but there was some kind of a disagreement. Some of them went east towards India. Some of them went northeast towards China and Siberia. And some of them went to Europe. Our ancestors didn't have the knowledge of what lay beyond the forest line in the front of them or what is behind the hill or the mountains. No human had gone before them. They had no idea where the next meal was going to come from. If someone get hurt or injured and they had no knowledge of local plans to ease the pain, that individual would die. There was no one to show them the way, to show them the dangers, what food to eat, what to avoid, what kind of predators were ahead. That was brave. On our journey across the planet, we share stories. The oral tradition of these cultures is unknown, and if we invent a time machine, we will know them. These storytellers, despite not having experienced their future or our history, shouldn't be underestimated. They have the same cognitive capabilities as we do today. The only difference between us and them is technology. These storytellers, whoever they were, had the creative need to express deeper thoughts about the world around them. They had the artistic need to perform, to enact something, to be someone or something. That's acting. During this period, music emerged. In the beginning, it was only clapping of stones together. Then someone, maybe while stretching hides to make clothing, realized that stretched skin can be used as a musical instrument, and that's a drum. These performers may have pretended to be both a hunter and a prey, perhaps doing so to teach others, we don't know for sure, but their performances must have captivated their audience. Imagine how it looked to the children. It must be magical for those observing, dancing, chanting, and grunting around the fire in the cave while others clapping rocks together. The performer, perhaps dressed in animal hides like any other member of their tribe, but this time adorned with antlers or skulls on their head. We call these performance shamans. The term shaman originates from Tongo's people of Siberia, meaning one who is excited or simply the one who knows. Contemporary shamans are religious leaders of communities, and their role is to act as a mediator between three worlds, upper or sky, middle or earth, and underworld or underground. During their rituals, shamans have a spirit helper, Ritual equipment almost always includes a drum, a dress, a horned mask, and a model of spirit helpers 
I do wonder how different contemporary shamans are from those tens of thousands of years during the Ice Age in Asia and Europe. In such an environment, caves served as both shelters and canvases for the stories they want to tell. Maybe that's why they draw on them. The dark caves became sort of a studios for the very first works of art. Shamans are presumed to be capable of directly interacting with humans, animals and spirits. Sometimes it's necessary for shaman to transform into spirits themselves. During this stage, shamans travel to the supernatural realm to gain help or knowledge for healing, manipulating weather, ensuring successful hunt or other important activities such as ensuring fertility. Imagine a world without cities. Instead, picture the landscapes filled with nomadic hunter-gatherer societies. These early humans lived in harmony with the rhythms of nature and their connection to the land was profound. I guess, as contemporary hunter-gatherer societies, culture and nature are not separated, they are one. The first shaman was discovered in modern-day Czech Republic, dating some 30,000 years back. The cultures across the world have had, or still have, shamanic practices. While shamanic activities may have emerged in parts of Europe before 30,000 years ago, similar activities have been observed around 12,000 BC in the area of the Fertile Crescent. As a reoccurring mantra of this, and few previous episodes, we don't know when this tradition of shamanism started. For example, Siberian shamans believe that shamanism emerged during the period when hunting and gathering were the primary means of supporting life. However, all the cultures have specific shamanic ritual locations, and even when the people are present, shaman will perform some rituals away from them. These areas are viewed as a literal doorway between the spiritual and physical worlds, often in the form of an opening into the earth, like caves or springs, or elevated spaces such as mountains. Similar to recent hunter-gatherer groups, the most crucial structure element of shamanic ritual was a trance, or a journey to other world. In the ancient world, the sacred and the profane were intertwined. People didn't perceive things as we do, categorizing trees as natural and humans as cultural. For them, as a contemporary shamans, nature and cultures are inseparable. These ancient shamans, these performers, must have utilized herbs and mushrooms as well. Psychedelic mushrooms likely enhance communication between the spiritual world and our own. Yes, I know, I talk about mushrooms and how they probably helped our ancestors to become different species, and eventually us. But if you observe the cave art, you will see a lot of dots everywhere, but also squares and circles. Circles can be found in nature. You just have to see the sun and the moon. But squares, you need imagination to do this. When you observe the typical brain image, 
and compare it to the brain on psilocybin, you will notice that consuming hallucinogenic mushrooms enhances connectivity between different regions of the brain. Think of it as a classical music orchestra. You have violins, flutes, pianos, and they're all playing separately. But when consuming hallucinogenic mushrooms, you have a conductor, and the symphony begins. Our ancestors had profound experiences on psilocybin. Their brain is not different from ours, and their brain has increased activity in the visual cortex or changing in perception. They experienced, air quote, the loss of self or the loss of ego. As any other human on psilocybin, that led them to a profound sense of unity, transcending beyond themselves. Psychedelics and sex are most taboo topics in the world today, but to our Paleolithic ancestors, they were not. Sexuality is a great essence of being human. Homosexuality is part of nature too. Around 1,500 species of animals, from mammals to insects, from birds to fish, practice homosexuality. For example, dolphins, both males and females, practice homoflexibility. They go through the periods when they are exclusively homosexuals. Lions do too. And of course, bonobos. Same-sex animals, such as albatross native to Hawaii, or swans, both monogamous birds, raise chicks by adopting a chick or mating with the opposite sex and then pushing the other partner away in the favor of the same-sex partner. Quite possibly, the most famous same-sex animals are, of course, penguins, and so on. I guess some of you are asking when will I start talking about art and artworks. I say I do. Less than maybe some of you expect. As I promised, this is chronological history of art. And to explain the origins of art, I have to explain who we are. The previous episodes about anthropology and the evolution of humans are part of that. But let me continue with this. We have sex not to have children, but also for pleasure. Tensional use of psychedelics can facilitate great sexual intimacy, and as I previously explained, with the loss of ego, greater connection with the partner, or if you listen to previous episodes, partners, yes, plural. We all know, since we are born, since we spring into being, increase the pleasure, avoid the pain. The stomach full of food, a good partner or partners, warm clothing in the winter, we and them, even tens of thousands of years apart, are the same. Around 40,000 years ago, our ancestors saw statues hidden in the stone. They only had to chisel the stone around the statue. Alongside rock, we also find art carved in bones, ivory, clay, and wood. But primarily, Paleolithic people carved their world into stone. That's why it's called Stone Age. These statues are representation of women. They are only a few centimeters in height. These women were depicted possibly pregnant. They had prominent breasts, but no feet or face, 
and there are hundreds of them. We can only guess what they represented to Paleolithic people of Europe. In last 2000 years or so, we have a weird relationship to sexuality. It's because of Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Our Paleolithic ancestors didn't have sinful relationship with sex. When they discovered women's statues of Paleolithic, scientists at the time gave the name Venus, after the Roman goddess of love and fertility. The sexuality of the scientists was repressed, and they had to explain art of these people, but not directly talk about sexuality. When they found the dildos with scrotum, they argued that Paleolithic people reduced women only to breasts. Those who don't listen to this episode on Spotify or watching it on YouTube, I will put pictures on my Facebook and Twitter page. These sex toys were made of stone. The stone is polished to perfection. I mean, somebody had to insert these dildos into themselves. These sex toys, they are all around 20 centimeters long. Stone Age life was tough. Fighting food, avoiding predators, or raising children was challenging. Somebody dedicated time and resources to craft these objects. To carve stone, and especially to make it smooth, takes time. It takes weeks of constant work to polish stone to be smooth. They could have used time for gathering resources, but these dildos were more important than gathering resources. In this episode, I wanted to show you that we are not different from Paleolithic people of Europe. We have the same needs, desires, and kinks. In the next episode, I will dedicate my time and research to speak about individual artworks. This concludes this episode. I don't know else what to say in this episode. I want to thank you for joining me and listening to this episode. I hope I inspired you. I hope you learned something. The music is performed by my friend Sebastian. You can check his band Cadavera. The link is below. Enjoy the song. Until the next time. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.